Villas Grace Church, building relationships that make followers of Jesus. Know, grow, go. To know him, to grow in him, to go with him. Big hand for everybody that was able to take part in worship this morning. It's good to be in church. Uh, it's, it's good to be here amongst people that aren't my uh, friends and, and co-workers at the paint store or at home. So it's, it's nice to be somewhere else. As we continue our series, Joyfully Growing in Jesus. Pastor Matt got to kick us back off in our series, uh, coming back when he preached Citizens of Heaven. Because we are citizens of heaven, we should emulate Mature believers who emulate Jesus Christ. And uh, what's so great about uh, a preaching expository is that this uh, sermon that I'm getting ready to preach is just a continuation of the one you heard before. But before we get into that, let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you and we praise you because you are the giver of all good things. Lord, we get to come here this morning and hear your word preached. Lord, let the truth of your word penetrate our hearts, Lord, and change us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, y'all, family feuds. There are very few infamous, look at first slide, family feuds. There are very few family feuds as famous or infamous as the Hatfields and the McCoys. You have there, you have uh, Devil Ants Hatfield and Ralph uh, Randolph McCoy. So these two families are part of one of the biggest family feuds in the history of the United States. It took place somewhere between 1863 and 1891 towards the end of the Civil War. It spanned two states, uh, being West Virginia and Kentucky. The feud began, some say, because there, there is a little controversy as exactly how this feud started, but some say it was in 1864 when Confederate soldiers, um, Ants Hatfield and Jim Vance, his cousin, murdered a Union soldier, Harmon McCoy, because they believe McCoy was responsible for shooting a friend during the war. So this kind of started like the bad blood between them. But then you have the more popular uh, opinion that it was started over a dispute over a hog. That the, the McCoy hog was stolen. They thought it was the Hatfields that took it. There was a big court case. Uh, they lost, and somehow the witness ended up dead. And this started all this craziness. Over the, the following 27 years, this grew completely out of control. It turned into more than dozens killed on both sides of the families. Nine Hatfields were imprisoned, and one was even executed while he was in prison. Something that seemed to be this little isolated incident, this little dispute, it grew into something that both sides could have never anticipated. And I can guarantee you it grew into something that both families wish they didn't have to pay for. Disputes between people in this sinful world are inevitable. We live in this world where it's just a natural part and when we give in to our own sinful desires, we, us humans, all of us, we're susceptible to things like anger, hate, and especially revenge. 
these are extremely destructive emotions. I mean, who here this morning could say they've never lost their temper and said something they wish they could take back? But we as Christians should handle these situations differently, especially between two people that call themselves believers, because we know personally the love and the grace and the mercy of God. However, this is only possible when we can come together and we are like-minded. We do this by committing to following God's heart, not ours. And that's why the sermon uh, title today is Following God's Heart. We'll be in Philippians 4, 1 through 9. It's by praying that God makes our heart more like his during these disputes is when we can allow us to receive that peace that he wants to give us so that we can forgive and forget the way he does. So let's get into our verses this morning. We'll be in Philippians 4, 1 through 9. And see what God's word has for us this morning. It starts out, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, and my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Euadia, and I entreat Sintuke to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely whatever is commendable if there's any excellence if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. If we take all nine of these verses and we condense them down into one main idea, we get this. Rejoice during disputes among God's children we can pray for him to unite us by his love and peace. We can rejoice because we're going to have these disputes and these times are going to come, but as God's children, we can pray for him to unite us together by his love and by his peace. Let's break these verses down to see why that's true this morning. We'll start out by looking at verses 1 through 3. Paul starts out, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I, I entreat Euadia and I entreat uh, Sintuke. Their names are hard to pronounce. You know these two are troublemakers. I entreat them to agree in the Lord. 
Yes, I ask you also, true companions, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers who name, whose names are in the book of life. So right away we see in verse 1, therefore. And in scripture, when you see therefore, you have to understand what that therefore is therefore. So we look back at the, the sermon that Pastor Matt just preached that we are citizens of heaven and we should act that way. We follow Jesus who is our example and that's our example of how we treat each other. As citizens of heaven, we're given the ability to get along with each other through Christ. This is only done through Christ. So Paul encourages those he loves, therefore, as citizens of heaven, stand firm in the Lord. And then he brings up this issue between these two uh, ladies in the church, and he entreats them. He, he begs them, please figure out a way to agree. Not only that, but he calls on the rest of the church and the fellowship there to help them figure out a way to agree with each other. See, we are not like the world. We should not, I should say, be like the world. The world treats people and it treats relationships like they're completely disposable. Oh, I don't like what this person says. They're gone. I don't like how this person treated me. I'm never talking to them again. I don't like this situation. Well, I'm never walking back into that again. That is not the way that brothers and sisters in Christ should be treating each other. You see, we have a common purpose and a common goal. It's centered around this all-loving, all-powerful God who died a death that he didn't deserve so that we can gain eternal life we didn't deserve. Church, we must show each other the same grace and mercy and love that God shows us. Does that just not make sense? It's not about fair. If this was about fair, I would go to hell to pay for my sins. We as Christians, as he says, whose names are written, written in the book of life, if you are a believer this morning, if you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, your name is in that book of life, and it cannot be erased. We together are God's children but we must try to come to a mutual understanding in Christ through him. Why? So that we can work together for the purpose of the gospel. So that we can labor side by side with each other for the sake of the gospel because that's what's important, amen? And that brings us to our first point. Big surprise, there will be disputes among God's children, but they can be quelled when we follow God's heart. This is a heart that is pure. It's not wicked like ours. It's not selfish like ours. It's a heart that seeks forgiveness, not revenge. It's a heart that wants to restore relationships and not trash them like ours. Because of what God has done for us and will continue to do for us, this is what Paul says next in verses 4 through 7. He says, 
Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Jesus Christ. So he's talking about how we're not like the world, how we have it differently than than the world, and we have a God who loves us and will forgive us. And he's like, we should rejoice. We should rejoice in this. We can celebrate, be filled with joy because of what Jesus has done for us. Instead of bickering and arguing about getting our own way, we have the privilege to be able to rejoice in his forgiveness. Because of what God has done for us. He said that we should, in verse 5, let our reasonableness be known to everyone. We should actually be known as the most reasonable, forgiving people on this planet. Is that always the case? Nope. We should be known for our patience and our love and our understanding of one another. But we just get in the way. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious about anything. And, and, you know, and, and I've seen this verse um, be used in a different context, with, which is okay. It's got multiple applications because we shouldn't be anxious. You know, and we should be able to bring everything to God by prayer and supplication. Um, but in this context... Paul's talking about this. Don't be anxious about anything. He's talking about disputes among God's children and disputes in the church. He's talking about that specifically. How much anxiety does disputes cause? When you're in a dispute someone, how much anxiety does that cause you? How much anxiety does it cause for the people around you? I don't know about you, but I like to lay my head on my pillow every night and know that I'm good with everybody. I don't like things looming over my head. I I can remember uh, my daughter Zara was always this way, and I'm going to embarrass her for a second. But I can remember it was like 11 o'clock at night on a school night one time, and she comes flying out of her room, and I'm like thinking that something really bad has happened. She's like, Dad, I can't sleep. I said something wrong to one of my friends, and they might be upset with me. But it, it, it's that heart that you don't want anything out there looming. We're, we're having people against you. Well, well, what Paul is saying here, he's saying, don't be anxious. Don't be anxious about those disputes. Don't be anxious about how that's going to get wrapped up. What you need to do is you need to pray. You need to pray. Because he says this in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts. He will give you his peace, which is a peace that envelops us and that is more powerful than any understanding of the situation that we can possibly grasp. But here's another really interesting thing here in verse 7. It says, and the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds. Guard your hearts and your minds against what? Is it guarding your hearts and minds against those evil people that have upset you or this person that you're in a dispute with? Here's something really interesting. God's peace will guard our hearts and minds 
against our own sinful nature. Against our own sinful nature. Does it not say in James 4 what, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Most of the time we're causing our own problems. God's peace that surpasses all understanding is there to guard our hearts and minds against our own sinfulness. Which brings up our second point. Rejoice. When we pray to have a heart like God, His peace will guard our hearts and minds from our own sinful behavior. I find that absolutely awesome that it's our sin that causes division and anger and sleepless nights, but rejoice because God wants to guard your hearts and minds from that. He wants to give you His understanding. So that when you're, you're in these situations, you're not anxious about these things. You know that he will give you a pe his peace that will help you deal with how to solve this problem. And guys, we need to do this. We need to do this before a dispute between two families becomes 20 deaths. We need to do this before our relationships are trashed. We need to do this before families are broken up. We need to do this before churches split. That's how important this is. It also reminds us of our main point this morning, which is this. Rejoice during disputes among God's children. We can pray for him to unite us by his love and his peace. We can rejoice during disputes because we can pray to God for him to unite us in his love and peace. One of the great things I love about the Apostle Paul is he doesn't just give you this really awesome, really deep spiritual lesson here. He's like, now let me give you some practical things to focus on. And he does that in verses 8 and 9. It says this, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. There's some practical ways that we need to go about by by keeping peace and receiving this peace. And we need to try to focus on, on these two things. What the truth of the matter is, focus on that and focus on the positive things we're in a dis the, of the person we're in a dispute with. Look what Paul says here. He says, focus on whatever is true. Most disputes are caused because both sides don't exactly have the truth. We're not focusing on what's absolutely true in the situation. We're fo more focused on what we hope is true because we're mad. And we want that to be the truth. Amen? Next he says, focus on whatever is honorable. What is the honorable thing to do in this situation? Not what do you want to do because you're upset. What is the honorable thing to do in this situation? What is just? 
What is the right thing to do? What is your act next action? What would be the right thing for you to do? Again, not what you want to do, but what is the right thing for you to do? Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely. And then he kind of shifts into the, the focusing on the person. Whatever is commendable. When you're in a dispute with somebody, are you thinking about the nice commendable things about them? No. That is the furthest thing from your mind. He's saying, focus on what is commendable about that person. In fact, he says, if there's any excellence, if they do anything excellent and, and, and add anything to your life that is excellent, focus on that. He said, in fact, if, you, if, if you're searching, you just can't think of anything. If there's anything worthy of praise, anything at all, focus on on that. He says, think of these things. It's so easy for us to completely ignore great things about people and focus on the one or two things that really aggravate us. There's so many things that, so many good things that could be said about somebody but it's that one or two things where you're just like, man, they just drive me nuts. Church, I wonder how we would feel if God looked at us that way. Could you imagine that? If God was up there and he's like, well, you know, look at so-and-so over there. I know that they're my child and they're striving to live a life that glorifies me and they go out of their way to to do good things and to, um, to, to just live God's word, uh, spread the gospel. But man, did you see the ugly way they just treated their spouse when they got upset? Psh, I'm done with that person. Did you see them cut that person off in traffic like they didn't even matter? Well, there goes. I'm done with that person. Did you see them tell that little white lie to get themselves out of trouble? Well, that's it. I'm done with that person. And what's amazing is that God sees everything, even your deepest thoughts. I'm so glad that he doesn't judge us the way we judge others. We should be trying to concentrate on the good things in people so that it will help us to treat them fairly. We need to forgive people and not hold grudges. That's very, very important. And I'll tell you from personal experience, from people that have hurt me in my life, it is very, very hard. It does not come naturally. But why do we need to do these things? Because of verse 9. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. I don't know about you all this morning, but I want the God of peace to be with me. We need to practice these things. And if, and if, you're, if, if you're thinking, well, I've never really seen this, as Paul said, what you've learned and what you've received and, and, and seen in practice, if you can't think of something off the top of your head right now, think the gospel. Think the gospel. The gospel itself is predicated on this very fact that when we repent of our sins 
and ask for forgiveness, Jesus forgives and then he forgets. He not only forgives us, but he for completely forgets about that sin. Why? So that he may pour out his love on us. That is the best example that we can look at in talking about this dynamic. I've had the pleasure, I guess, to experience this firsthand many times. I've been a pastor in churches for 12 years. Uh, I've been a deacon or an elder for even longer. I've sat in meetings where, uh, surrounded by a table of very good godly men who I know are good godly men. And I've watched people completely lose their tempers and almost to the point of being out of control, allowing anger and frustration of certain situations to then take over and turn it into something even bigger. Why am I bringing this up? I'm not just bringing this up to confess that I myself as a pastor am a, fa a fallible man. But here's something that's cool. God's glory can come out of these actions of sinful people when they follow him. That, that's something that, that you don't see in the world. That out of the sinful actions of man as they together follow God, they can bring God glory. I've seen people lose their tempers. I've been the one myself who has lost my temper and, and said and done things in those situations that I wish I could take back. But here is what's awesome. Because of our love for Jesus and because of what he did for us, I've seen men repent and forgive each other almost right away and move on like nothing happened. Now, is that an excuse to just shoot your mouth off and go, oh, I'll just ask for forgiveness later? No, not even close. But what's awesome is that when you experience that, you come out even stronger on the back end, and you end up glorifying God. That is what brothers and sisters in Christ should do. We take something that the devil meant to divide us, and we use it to to unite us even more. And why is that so important? So that we can labor side by side for the sake of the gospel, because that is all that matters. Brings us to our third and final point. When we focus on and practice the goodness of God, we can be at peace with ourselves and others. When we focus on and, and practice these things out of the goodness, the things out of the goodness of God, we can be at peace with ourselves and with others. As Mike comes up and, and I begin to close, I want to just remind us about what Paul taught us about following God's heart in the times of disputes. And the first thing that we learned was obvious. There will be disputes among God's children, but they can be quelled when we follow God's heart. Let us not be surprised or shocked when someone offends us. 
let's get real. I'll confess to you myself. Sometimes we're pretty easily offended. Amen. Church, let's pray that God helps us to see people how he sees them. Do you know how God sees these people the same way he sees me? Broken and in need of forgiveness. That's all of us. It should be pretty easy because we're all on a level playing field there. And when we do that, we remember the second point, that we can rejoice because when we pray to have a, a heart like God, his peace will guard our hearts and minds from our own sinful behavior. So we get to look at ourselves first and understand that we're probably the cause of, of, of our issue. But we get to pray that God can change our hearts. When we do this, y'all, we should be known for being the most understanding and forgiving people on the planet. I don't know if any of the Hatfields or the McCoys were Christians, but I could tell you, they certainly didn't act like it. Imagine if they chose to practice the goodness of God over seeking revenge. You're talking about dozens and dozens and dozens of lives that were changed forever or could have even been saved. Let's pray for God to give us his peace so we can overcome our own sinfulness. And the third point was this, when we focus on and practice the goodness of God, we can be at peace with ourselves and with others. It is so easy to get mad and even sometimes hate people. It's, it's easy, it's a knee-jerk reaction. It's hard to understand people and forgive them. We should practice these things Paul talked about in verse 8. If you want to go back there, it's Philippians 4, verse 8. And he says, focus on the truth of the matter. Keep that on the forefront. Don't focus on your feelings. Focus on the truth. See the good things in these people that you're dealing with. And most importantly, remember that God didn't give you what you deserved. Lord, help us to get over ourselves, myself included, so that we can be peacemakers. Pray that God of, that the God of peace is always with you. And then, of course, remember our main point this morning. Rejoice, church. During disputes among God's children, we can pray for him to unite us by his love and peace. Let's pray. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, we love you because you are the God of peace. Lord, there is an enemy out there, like Mike talked about this morning, that wants to divide us so we can't be your invading army. Lord, the most important thing that we could do is focus on laboring side by side for the sake of the gospel. Lord, help us in time of disputes to have a heart like yours. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. For more information, look us up on our website, www.villasgrace.com, or drop us a line via email, connect at villasgrace.com.